Hello, this is the World Economic News by Coldwater Economics for Wednesday, the 19th of August. Japan's trade results complete the Northeast Asia set for July, and it's easy to miss what happened. Japan's exports, after all, fell 19.2% year-on-year in yen terms, which was actually pretty much as we knew would happen from the 20-day data. So it was neither a shock nor surprise, though down 19.2% year-on-year is pretty bad in anyone's language. But that year-on-year fall actually masks a sharp rebound in monthly terms. In fact, the 10.4% monthly gain was 2.7 standard deviations above what normally happens in July, or 2.9 standard deviations if you put it in dollar terms, which is noticeable. Even more so because something rather similar was happening throughout Northeast Asia in July. China's exports were up 7.3% year-on-year and 1.1 standard deviations above trend. South Korea's were down 7.1%, but still up 1.5 standard deviations from trend. Taiwan's were up 0.3% year-on-year and up 0.2 standard deviations above trend. Add them all together, and Northeast Asia's exports actually rose 0.5% year-on-year in July and were 1.9 standard deviations above trend. To put that in perspective, that 0.5% year-on-year rise is only marginal, but it's also the first positive year-on-year since December, and only the fifth since January 2019. Looked at another way, the six-month deflection against trend is actually up 0.55 standard deviations, which is genuinely the sharpest deflection above trend since the post-crisis recovery in 2009. Does the data lie? Well, yes, it does all the time. And I, for one, am a little suspicious of China's 7.3% rise because it found no echo in any other data from the industrial economy in July. Industrial production being stuck at 4.8% year-on-year, electricity production up only 1.9%, and the CFLP Manufacturing PMI Export Orders Index hasn't been above 50 since December. Still, the upturn wasn't confined to China, so let's not ignore it. What it strongly suggests is that we should expect a recovery in import numbers from the US and Eurozone in July, because G3 imports and Northeast Asian exports are joined at the hip. How far-fetched does that seem? Well, not so much. Let's remember June's numbers. US imports were down 13.4% year-on-year, but with a monthly 2.4 standard deviations above trend. Eurozone was down 12.5% year-on-year, but also 2.1 standard deviations above trend. Overall, in June's G3 imports in dollar terms fell 13.1%, but the monthly movement was actually 2.1 standard deviations above trend. Loads of numbers. But the conclusion we can't help but draw from this is that although the year-on-year terms are still being absolutely crushed, June and July data is describing a pretty sharp rebound in trade volumes, brought to you courtesy of massive global monetary and fiscal reflation, and encouraged further by the fall in the dollar, down 3.3% since April against the SDR. Over now to Hong Kong. The dip in the unemployment rate in the three months to July 
to 6.1%, down from 6.2% last month, was unexpected. But isn't just as a statistical construct. Employment did actually rise slightly on the month, though it's still down 6% year on year. Whilst the number of unemployed rose only negligibly within the error band, and unemployment fell, underemployment, excuse me, fell significantly. But what I want to draw your attention to is the way Hong Kong's labour force is altogether contracting. In the three months to July, Hong Kong's labour force was down 2.4% year on year. This is emphatically not the result of the current recession. The labour force peaked in August 2018, since when it has been pretty much contracting. In fact, Hong Kong has lost 112,000 from its labour force since then, or 2.8%, leaving it at 3.88 million. This decline in the labour force is unprecedented in Hong Kong's post-97 history, and seems to have started in earnest around August 2019, five months after the protests started over the government's attempt to, use, to introduce extradition to China. The last couple of months has actually seen a small reversal, with small rises, but the result is still down 2.4% year on year. And that compares to a peak shrinkage of 1.6% year on year in the 2008-2009 financial crisis. It remains to be seen if Hong Kong continues to lose population and labour force, or if the lost population is replaced by immigration from the mainland. Either way, it's difficult to see Hong Kong continuing to prosper if its working population falls continuously. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. And if you got something out of it, and I hope you did, please help spread the word about the bulletin, as always, perhaps recommending it to your colleagues. If you'd like to know more about cold water economics, please feel free to contact me, Michael Taylor, on MJT Coldwater at fastmail.com.